right, well, hey, it's so good to be in church today. We're going to continue our Christmas series called Favor. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. In this series, we're looking at the major characters in the Christmas story and considering why God chose them for such a special purpose, right? They got to be right in the center of God's activity at that first Christmas. And what we're asking is why did God choose these people? Why did he choose Mary and Joseph and the Magi and the shepherds? So, so far we've already talked about Mary and Joseph. Pastor Derek gave a great word last week on Joseph. And now today we're gonna talk about the Magi or the wise men. So Matthew chapter two, verse one through 12, let's take a look at it. It says this, it says, now after Jesus was born, in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with them. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem, of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for whom you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped God. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All right, the sermon title this morning, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, Come on, who's taking notes today? Let's go. Let's wave the notebooks. Come on. All right, so taking notes today. Hungry Magi, my best sermon title ever, Hungry Magi. All right, so let's pray again over the word, and we'll, we'll dig in. So, so Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence and all the wonderful things you're doing here. And God, I pray that your word would come to life today, and we pray that this would not be lofty words of wisdom. God, that this wouldn't be my ideas, but that this would be a demonstration of your spirit's power. Holy Spirit, help us to hear from you today and to experience everything you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the other night, our son Abram, who again was the star of the show over here, he fell asleep before dinner, and man, he's a bear to wake up when he's napping, and he would not wake up to eat. So we decided, okay, we're just gonna sneak him off to bed and then get a nice night with one less child yelling at us, which our, child, our children yell at us a lot. So they're all, they're five, three, 20 months and newborn. So there's lots of screaming in our house. Lord, help us. Hey, pray for us, please. Pray. But anyways, we put Abram to bed and and we're thinking, okay, hopefully he sleeps through the night and he doesn't wake up hungry. Well, at 3 a.m., all of a sudden we see him standing in the doorway in the darkness and he's hungry. He wants to eat. And Emily, being the sweet mom that she is, not only gets him a snack, but she gets up and cuts him up some strawberries in the middle of the night. She's just going gourmet on him, cutting up the strawberries. He gets these little strawberries. He's like, this is a pretty good deal, getting some, or getting some sweet strawberries in the middle of the night. You know, problem solved. He, or he went back to sleep. However, this created a new problem because since then, whenever he wakes up in the middle of the night, he thinks he should get strawberries. Okay, so we'll slowly hear the door open. All of a sudden, there's a silhouette of a little man in the doorway. And we hear the voice. We hear, 
are we here? Strawberries? <laughs> and we're really hopeful that he'll move on from this phase soon. And, and just as Abram is consistently hungry for strawberries in the middle of the night, Jesus wants us to be hungry for him in this way, right? He, he wants us to desire him like Abram desires strawberries with such a strong desire. He wants us to be so in love with him and so infatuated by him that, or that we just can't get enough of him. So Abram's sister, Jane, uh, she'll often come to us and say, more strawberries, please. Uh, so the Lord, he wants us to walk in the spirit. He wants us to come to him, or come to him each day and say, more Jesus, please. More Jesus, Jesus, please. But sadly, this is often not what we do. And, and we tend to get bored with God. Right? And we're hungrier for other things. Let's be honest. Right? We're, we're hungrier for other things. Instead of being hungry for, or for more Jesus, please, we're hungry for more TV, please. Just one more episode, please. Or more money, please. Or more social media, please. Or more food, please. Burn fasting's coming up. Or more alcohol, please. Some of you are like, oh no, I could go on. Right? More this, more that. Our natural human instinct is to try to, sati- or to, try to satisfy our God-given desire for him with other things. And something I love about the Magi is they refused to be satisfied by lesser things, but they instead were hungry for God. And, and if I had to say just one thing that describes the Magi, I would say they were hungry for God. And I believe that this is what attracted the favor of God towards them. And we don't know a ton about the Magi, but, and they are a little mysterious actually, but everything we know about them tells us that they were hungry for God. And, and there were actually many more Magi than the few that that we meet in this story. It, it, or the Magi was a group of people who were based in the, or the Persian Empire who were spiritual and intellectual leaders of their time and they had great influence on the kings of their time. And specifically, they were really relied upon uh, for their ability to interpret dreams. And, and Magi in general, in general were very hungry people. They were hungry for their lives to count And they were hungry to learn as much as they could about the world. But the Magi in the Christmas story weren't just hungry in general. They weren't just ambitious. They were hungry for the one true God. They they were ambitious for God. And we see their their hunger expressed in quite a few ways in the Christmas Christmas, uh, narrative. And in the first mark of their hunger, we see in the first two verses. It says this. It says, Now after Jesus was born... In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay, so sometime after Jesus was born, this is actually down the road. Okay, so Jesus has been born. It's, a, it's, it's probably a few months down the road. The, or the Magi come to Jerusalem, and they ask King Herod where he was. And there was so much that, that, that came to this point that, or that led up to this point, we see that they got there by following a star. Okay, we're gonna do that tonight. We're all gonna follow a star, see where it goes, right? So, or so they must have been, been students of the stars and skilled in astrology. So astrology, we don't really take that seriously. It's not, a, it's not a respectable field, but back then, it was actually a very important field and, and, and people thought that you could learn the future from the stars. And, and they thought that if there was a sudden appearance of a great and brilliant star, then it must be God trying to break through and say something to us. So for the Magi, their study of the stars led them to believe that that God was moving through the Jewish people and they wanted to be a part of it. 
And we also know from the Old Testament book of Daniel that Daniel actually interacted with some magi. This was a few hundred years before Christ's birth. So Daniel had some interactions with the magi and perhaps his influence on them led the magi to become familiar with Judaism and the Old Testament scriptures. Or perhaps that helped lead them to Jesus during that Christmas time. So so somehow their studies led them right to King Herod's doorstep, boldly asking where the king of the Jews is. And I think this would have been kind of awkward, don't you? You're showing up at a king's doorstep and you're saying, where's the real king? Right, Herod was supposed to be the king of the Jews. He wasn't actually Jewish, but the Romans had set him up as the king of Judea and he even accomplished the great feat of rebuilding the Jewish temple. Okay, so he prided himself on being the king of the Jews. And the Magi were so stinking hungry to find the true king that they walked right up to the fake king and they said, where is the real king? That took some nerve, right? And we don't know for sure how far they traveled to get here, but we think they traveled somewhere between 800 and 900 miles to get here. So this would have required some military help. They couldn't have done that on their own. There was likely a military that was helping them to get there. So there was so much that came into this or, or that went into this moment of coming to King Herod and saying, where is the king of the Jews? They had to study, they had to travel a great distance, and then they had to have, I think, one of the most awkward conversations of all time. All of this shows the first way that their hunger expressed itself. The Magi, they sought Jesus, right? They sought him out. They did whatever it took to find him. And not just in ways that were comfortable, right? Not just in ways that that fit into their box of what made sense, but instead they, they were willing to seek Jesus in such a way that it required work and risk It required sacrifice. They sought him with their whole hearts and their minds and their strength. And the Lord desires this for each one of us. He desires for us to seek him in this way. He he wants us to be wholeheartedly committed to seeking him no matter what it takes. He wants us to devote ourselves to study and to prayer and to seek his face. He, He wants us to do whatever he tells us to do. He wants us to be a people who immediately obey, right? When he tells us to do something, we do it, even if that means going on a huge journey, 800 to 900 miles, or having an awkward conversation with the king. He wants us to seek him even when it's hard. And when I think about someone who sought God when it was hard, I think of Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor was a British man by birth and and was a missionary to China in the 1800s. He spent 51 years of his life trying to reach uh, the nation of China with the gospel. His heart burned for the loss there. He could not understand how, how British Christians could be so unmoved by the fact that there were so many people in China who did not know Jesus. And he was often misunderstood. He would take bold risks for God. He would have to rely on financial support. He lost his wife when she was only 33 years old. He buried four of his eight children in China. Four of eight buried in China. And by all accounts, this man gave up so much to seek Jesus and his will for his life. And because of his commitment to seek the Lord, no matter what it cost him, by the time he left, or by the time he died, there were 800 and 25 missionaries in China under his organization. And there was more than 500 Chinese helpers, so Chinese ministers, and 25,000 Christian converts in China. And there are still today 1,600 missionaries operating under his organization. 
In 1900, there were 100,000 Christians in China, and today there's over 100 million. And Christianity is booming today in China because some man named Hudson Taylor said, I'm willing to count the cost. I'll seek you no matter what you tell me to do. I'm not gonna put you in my box or tell you what you can tell me to do. I'm gonna do whatever you say. I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I'm gonna make sure my life counts. And this all happened because, boy, he was hungry for God. Or he just wanted to do God's will. He, he wanted to see Jesus' face. He wanted to be obedient. And when you're hungry for God, you'll seek him. You'll do whatever he says. You'll get up early in the morning or stay up late to spend time with him. You'll, you'll limit time in front of screens so you can focus on him. You'll go to the prayer room and have uninterrupted time in his presence. You'll, you'll get with other believers to read the Bible throughout the week. You'll share your faith with your neighbors. The hungry will seek the Lord. If you're hungry, you're gonna seek him, right? You just can't have enough of him. And the Magi, they didn't only seek the Lord, they worshiped him. Okay, let's look at verse nine through 11. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, I'm not really sure how that works. Like, how does a star rest over one place? But hey, let's just move on. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, they saw the child or the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts and gold and frankincense and myrrh. Okay, so after talking with King Herod, they continued following the star until it stopped above where Jesus was. And when they saw this star stop, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So, so this wasn't just like being mildly pleased, like, okay, this is awesome. No, this is like being deliriously happy, is what one commentator said. Deliriously happy, woo! I'm excited, right? You coming to church deliriously happy? Oh yeah, come on. It's 8.30 in the morning. I'm ready to worship Jesus, right? That's what was going on here. They were exceedingly, or they were rejoicing exceedingly with a great joy. They, or they rejoiced with the deepest part of their hearts, like the, the very depths of their being, they were worshiping Jesus. And after this, they went into the house where Mary was with Jesus and they worshiped him. So, so keep in mind, okay, Jesus is a baby, okay? He poops in his pants, right? He spits up. And they are just laying down before him. These are kings, right? Well, they're not really kings, but tradition says they were the three kings, right? But they were influencers with kings, right? They were the, the, the spiritual and intellectual leaders of their day. And they are just face down before a baby. And they're pouring their hearts out before him. And this is the second way that the Magi expressed their hunger for God. The Magi worshiped Jesus. They truly worshiped him. I ain't talking about you know, lip singing along with the, the words of a song on Sunday. Oh yeah, uh, can we get to the sermon? This is boring. I'm talking about true worship. I'm talking about all in worship. They, they laid face down before Jesus. They, or they used their whole bodies to worship Jesus. And when you encounter the true Jesus, he should move you like this. And you should want to sing and praise his name and declare his goodness. You should be overjoyed in his presence. And, and we create space for this on Sunday mornings. Our, our Sunday times of musical worship is a time for you to just pour out your heart to Jesus and rejoice exceedingly with great joy. As we sing, our hope is we would just express our joy and our reverence for Jesus 
In a sense, when we have Sunday worship, we are joining in with the Magi and we're pouring out our hearts to Jesus. But the Magi, they didn't stop at this though. They, they took it a step further than just being excited about Jesus. They took it a step further than even laying face down before Jesus. Their worship of Jesus wasn't only with full hearts and bended knees, but also with open hands. Okay, they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts. And this is beautiful. When we encounter the love of Jesus, it should cause us to give him our treasure. And this example, their example, shows us that exuberant praise of Jesus with our lips without sacrificial giving of our treasure is a contradiction. Y'all like, uh, it's getting quiet in here. Right? Giving to Jesus is not a duty. Giving our treasure to him, it, it's not a duty, but it's a delight. We love when or when you are, are undone by the love of Jesus, you just love to give him your treasure. You're like, take it all. You love to use your resources to build the church and to care for the poor and to make disciples. And you've just been so undone by the love of God that you could not think of anything less than that. And when Jesus becomes our treasure, we give him our treasure. Come on, that's like tweetable. Is tweeting still a thing? Xing? Okay, when Jesus becomes our treasure, we can't help but give him our treasure. And those who encounter the ferocious love of God should respond by laying everything down at his feet. Our comfort, our dreams, our desires, our time, our talent, and yes, even our treasure. This is what being hungry for God looks like. Okay, we see at least one more way that they express their hunger for God. In verse 12, it says this, it says, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. After worshiping baby Jesus, they were warned through a dream not to return to Herod, and, and thankfully so, because a few verses later, we see that Herod kills all the male children in Bethlehem that are under two. So he would have likely killed Jesus had they told him where he was. And this shows us how critical it was that the Magi follow the Lord's warning and not lead Herod to Jesus. And this was the third way that they expressed their hunger for God. They listened to God, right? They did what he told them to do. He, or they listened to him. They so wanted to do the Lord's will that they were, or that they were willing to change their plans to follow his plans. And when we obey and listen to Jesus, we show that we're hungry for him. And we show that we're hungry to please him I'm so thankful that the Magi listened to God, right? Jesus' life depended on it. And as I, as I looked at this this week, it made me wonder, what is hinging on my obedience? And what consequences could there be if I'm disobedient to Jesus, right? What kind of ripple effects could happen because of my unwillingness to listen to God? It is absolutely critical that you listen to Jesus. It is critical when you disobey him and when you don't do what he's telling you to do, you are affecting other people and you are hurting your family tree, you're hurting your friends, you're hurting your city. It affects other people. It's not just about you. Everything's not just about you in Christianity. Right? It's about other people. When you disobey, there can be tragic effects for the kingdom. We need to obey Jesus. And when I think about obeying Jesus, when I think about listening to God, I can't help but think of my, or my brother, I almost called him baby brother, he's not a baby, my brother Derek, he's a man. He serves as our Kyle Alpha director. 
eight years ago, he was a freshman in Bible college and God spoke to him and told him to transfer to you and I to be a part of Chi Alpha. God told him instead of going to a Bible school to train for ministry, just go do ministry at a secular school and I'll take care of giving you a ministry position and all of that. So he obeyed Jesus and I'm so glad that he did it. It had massive ripple effects as he married Taylor who was a UNI student. He became the director of Chi Alpha, obviously, and he has helped lead so many students to Christ. And now he serves as the Chi Alpha director, not just for UNI, but for the entire state of Iowa. He oversees the other directors. And this hinged on his obedience, right? It hinged on it. And none of this would have happened if he didn't make the decision as an 18-year-old freshman to obey what God was saying. So what in the world is God saying to you and what are you waiting on? Do it. If we do what Jesus tells us to do, it will make a massive impact for the kingdom of God. Darkness is going to be pushed back and light will break through, but for this to happen, you have to be hungry for God, right? You have to be hungry for his will. So with that in question, with that in mind, the question remains, how do we become hungry, right? How do we get hungry? I actually heard someone ask this question in one of our communities, how do I become hungry? So the question really is, how can I get my heart to actually want Jesus? And this is easier said than done, right? There's no three-step formula, like do this, do that, all of a sudden you're hungry for God. Oftentimes, it seems like some people are just hungrier than others, right? In my experience, it just seems like some people kind of have it, some people don't. Even with that said, I do think we can position ourselves to grow in our hunger for God. I think, I think we can train our hearts to, uh, to want Jesus more deeply. I think we can do things with our willpower that can help our hearts come into alignment with being hungry for Jesus. So to do this, or to answer this question, I think we can learn a lot from the example of King David. I, I think it's safe to say that David might be the most hungry person who's ever lived for God. In Acts chapter 13, Paul said that David was a man after God's own heart. He was the prototype for living a life of hunger for God. In Psalm 63, he said this. And just ask yourself, is this your heart's desire? It says this, it says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. If we wanna be hungry for God, we should consider how David got to this point. And, and he reveals, it's really not too complicated. He reveals his source of hunger in Psalm 34 when he said this. I feel like there's gotta be some kids songs about this. Maybe we gotta get the kids back in here. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So David, why was he hungry for God? He was hungry because he had tasted his goodness. Okay, so when something tastes good, you wanna eat it, Right? I love Raising Cane's, most of you know that by now. And I want Raising Cane's at least once a week. Maybe I should confess, sometimes twice a week. Lord, help me. If we wanna be hungry for God, we need to taste and see that he is good. He's better than anything this world could ever offer us. And I think this is what happened to the Magi. As they studied, their hearts were captivated by the or by the God of Israel, and they were captivated by the coming Messiah. They completely devoted themselves to finding him. And then when they saw the star over where Jesus was, and they saw him in the flesh, they were just, 
There's something about that baby that just drove them to awe and wonder. They saw that he was good. They saw that he was delightful. They saw that he was beautiful, and that made them hungry. It stirred them to lay it all down before him. If we wanna be hungry for Jesus in such a way that we seek him and we worship him and we listen to him, we, or he needs to become beautiful to us. If we wanna be hungry for Jesus, we must find him beautiful. He's gotta become attractive to us. He's gotta become our desire and we gotta taste and see that he's good. We gotta find that he's beautiful, taste that he's good and the rest will take care of itself. Okay, with that in mind, we got another question. How does he become beautiful to us? Or how does this happen? Well, David actually tells us how in Psalm 63, verse two. He says this. He says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So David found God beautiful because he beheld God. Or he spent a ton of time just looking at him. He didn't get distracted by Netflix, right? Well, he didn't have Netflix, but... So a little harder for us, but didn't get distracted. He just stared at God all the time. And as he beheld him, as he looked at him, he realized that God's love is better than life. He's so tasty. He's so good. Okay, so maybe for us, maybe we struggle to be hungry for God because we behold the wrong things. We're looking at the wrong stuff. His consistent beholding of God, it stoked hunger in his heart. It helped him realize that God's love is truly better than life. So if we wanna find Jesus beautiful, we gotta behold him. If we wanna see the beauty of Jesus like David did, we gotta look at him like David did. And how exactly do we do that? How exactly do we look at Jesus? I don't wanna spend a ton of time answering this question as that would be a whole nother sermon, but I wanna give you three very brief things. If we wanna find Jesus beautiful, we gotta behold first his word. The word of God is a surefire place where you can look at Jesus and hear his voice. In the gospel of John, John refers to Jesus as the word. Okay, so in a sense, the word of God is Jesus Christ in print. And this is why it's so imperative that we devote ourselves to the reading of God's word. And can I challenge you to read it every single day? Eat from the word of God. Just like the Magi devoted themselves to studying, devote yourself to the study of the word. David loved God's word. He says that he meditated on God's law day and night. He loved it. And we have to have that same kind of commitment to the word of God. If you're not hungry for Jesus and you're not reading his word, We'll start there, right? And we explain how to do that on our website. If you go to wearesent.church slash worship, we explain how to read the Bible. But I wanna encourage you, dig in this Christmas season, open up the Bible on your own time, and in 2024, make a commitment. Say, I'm gonna read that thing every single day. But that's not all. It's not just about the word. We also have to behold his presence. Okay, we behold Jesus' presence through prayer and worship and just being with him, and this is what David did. As a shepherd boy, he would spend countless days and nights in the fields by himself with God, just looking at him, looking at the stars, looking at God, just dreaming about God. As a musician, he, he penned songs to God that, or that now largely make up the book of Psalms. And when he was on, in exile and on the run from uh, the king before him, he leaned on God in that season in the wilderness. He found his strength from God. The joy of the Lord was truly his strength. So David, he loved God's presence. And he said this of God's presence in Psalm 27. He said, one thing I've asked of the Lord. Okay, if there's one thing you could ask for, what would it be? Well, David tells us what he would, would seek, out, or seek after. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life that I could just gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in the temple, which makes me kind of think about, you know, reading the word, inquiring of the word, but, but this idea of just gazing upon him. That's all David wanted to do. And for the Magi, they got to be in the very physical presence of Jesus. And when they were, they were undone. They're like, take it all, take it all, baby Jesus. And they laid it all at his feet. Okay, here's the thing. When we get into the presence of Jesus, things start to shift. Hunger grows, joy is unleashed, and sacrifices are made. If you wanna find Jesus beautiful, you gotta get in the word and you gotta get in his presence, right? The truth needs to get in you. The spirit needs to be moving through you. Get in his presence, get in the word. There's one more thing though. If we wanna find Jesus beautiful, we gotta behold his people. If you're gonna behold Jesus, you gotta spend time with God's people. When we're, and here's the thing. Okay, when you're in the presence of another believer, it's amazing what you're doing is you're looking at someone who the very spirit of God lives in. Like God's spirit lives in them and you're looking at them, you're beholding them. Right? When you're spending time with other believers, in a sense, you are beholding uh, the Holy Spirit in someone else. It's vital that you get around other believers as much as you can. It is a flat out lie that you can love Jesus and, and not be part of the church. It is a lie from the pit of hell. You need the people of God. You need other believers. And when you behold other believers, in a sense, you're beholding Jesus. It says this in Hebrews 10. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we gather with other believers, we're supposed to stir up each other and encourage one another towards Jesus. In some ways, we get to be Jesus to one another and call each other out of apathy and into hunger. If we wanna behold Jesus, then we need to be with his body. And for David, he did not do life alone, but he had his brother Jonathan. He had his mighty men. He did not do it on his own. And for the Magi, I love how they sought the Lord together. They went on that journey together. If we wanna behold Jesus and find him beautiful, we need to behold each other. As we do, our hunger for God will grow and we'll stir each other up. Okay, so the call this Christmas season is to walk in the footsteps of the Magi who are just hungry for God. And we can do this by beholding his word, his presence, and his people. And as we do this, as we grow in our hunger, we're gonna be a magnet for the favor of God. Oh, God loves a hungry people. And God loves the people who just can't get enough of him. I wanna be that church, right? We're like, we just can't get enough of you, God. We could worship all day long. We'll skip Pizza Ranch. We're gonna worship you all day long on Sunday. We love Pizza Ranch here at Sun Church, but but we love God's presence more. Here's the thing, if we can get hungry like the Magi, we can have the same favor that the Magi had. And when we go after God, here's also what happens. He, he comes after us. In James four, he said this, he, he said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Are you drawn near to God? Now's the time, right? Draw near to him. Okay, the main idea today is this. If we want the favor that the Magi had, we must have the hunger that they had. A season of my life where my hunger for God just really began to grow was uh, during my freshman and sophomore years of college. I was a part of Chi Alpha at, at UNI, and it was an incredible season of just rapid growth in my life. A lot was happening really fast. And part of this was God was just doing something. Right? Sometimes God just like puts his finger on someone. He's like, I'm gonna do something in you. And that was part of it. 
But even more than that, I started beholding Jesus through, again, his word, his presence, and his people. And a place where all three of these things would always converge in a really special way was at the Kyle Fall Retreat. At Fall Retreat, it's a time where we would look at God's word, and, and, and here's a secret, the Holy Spirit Conference is like Fall Retreat for adults. So come on, somebody, we got it coming up then. But at Fall Retreat, we would, would look at God's word together, we would, would be in God's presence together, and then we would just spend time together. And it always felt like this retreat was a launching pad into greater hunger for God. Like I'd come off that retreat like, I can't have enough of him. And that's how the whole group would feel. And I remember at one of these fall retreats, I was out on this little pond with my buddy, John, and we're canoeing around and talking about Jesus. And, and John just had such a passion for Jesus. I felt like I could see fire in his eyes. I'm like this guy really knows Jesus. This guy really loves him. And as he would share his heart and, I, and as I would share mine, I just felt this explosion of love for Jesus in my heart. And I remember thinking, I, I remember thinking, I, I wish I could be at fall retreat every day with all these people who love Jesus so much. It just felt so much easier to be hungry for Jesus at fall retreat. I'm like, Lord, why can't I have this every day? And I'm committed to leading a church here in the Cedar Valley where his word, his presence, and his people come together to create an environment like fall retreat where it's just easy to be hungry for God. I want it to be hard not to be hungry for God if you're a part of Saint Church. I want it to be really hard, really uncomfortable if you're not hungry for God. And this is what we're trying to do. We're just trying to stoke hunger in this place for God. Because we know if we can all get hungry for God, that's gonna take care of the rest, right? Okay, my question for you this morning is are you hungry? Are you hungry for God? And do you really want Jesus? Do you actually want him? Or are you just doing religion? Or maybe you're not doing religion even, you're just not doing anything. But the question is, do you want Jesus? And if not, why do you think that is? Are you beholding the wrong things? Are you beholding social media or Netflix or the news or food or, or, or something else? A great time to take a break from beholding the wrong things is our 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. It is nuts, guys. I, I have a whiteboard in my office of like 20 some things I was praying for during, lat, or during this year's prayer and fasting. And almost all of them have been answered, like miracles things. It is incredible what God does through prayer and fasting. There's something about it. There's something about when we set aside food and we say, I'm gonna focus on Jesus. I'm gonna seek his face. There's something where he just, just comes, or comes near and starts to do stuff. And our hunger for him starts to grow. So, yeah, so for you, maybe you're beholding the wrong things and, and you need to take a break from that. Or maybe you're not beholding the right things. Maybe you need to start beholding his word. Maybe you need to start beholding his presence or beholding his people. As we look towards 2024, make a commitment to be someone who beholds Jesus and beholds his people. But before any of that can happen, you need to accept what Jesus has done for you. And you need to ask him to be the Lord of your life. Before you can ever start to try to behold Jesus, you gotta fall in love with Jesus, right? You need to receive the forgiveness of sins and step into relationship with him. And the whole reason that Jesus had to come at that first Christmas was because without him, we are dead and headed to hell. And we are separated from God. There's no hope for life. And he came to give us life. In John 10, 10, it says, I came that they may have life to the full. And he came and he lived the perfect life. He, he lived the ideal life. He never sinned once. And then, he, and then he was rewarded for that by being put up on a cross and bleeding 
and dying for our sins. On the cross, he paid the price for our sins. All the stuff we've done to separate ourselves from God, he paid for all of it. He said, I'm gonna take on their penalty on the cross, right? And Jesus showed his hunger for us when he did that. He showed how much he loves us when he did that. And then he didn't just die on the cross though. He didn't just bleed and die, but then he came back up out of the grave after three days. And if that doesn't mess you up, I don't know what's gonna mess you up. The King of Kings, the Lord of glory, he came out of heaven and he died for you. And you know how messed up you are. You don't have to tell us all, but you know. I know how messed up I am. And he came and he died for you and for me. And then not just that, but he came back up out of the grave. He did what no one else can do. He went into a grave and came back up out of it. And because of that, if we trust in him, we can have eternal life. And not just eternal life, you know, for eternity after this world's over, but actual resurrection life now. We can step into the life that he's called us to live. We can be new creations and we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. God himself can live inside of us. But the crazy thing is we continue to play around with all this stupid stuff. When all of that's waiting for us, life is waiting for us. And we're playing around with Netflix and social media, all these other things. And Jesus is calling us today. He's saying, he's saying fall in love with me. See how beautiful I am. And if you can see that, it's gonna take care of everything else. So this morning, that's what I'm praying for. I can't make that happen for you, but I am praying that the love of God is poured into your heart in such a way that it just wrecks you. It just messes you up and you're never the same. I'm praying that that would happen this morning. Come on, come on. That's what needs to happen. We need to fall in love with Jesus. We need to stop doing religion. We need to stop trying to just be better than our friends. Oh, I behaved a little bit, so maybe I'll get into heaven. No, we need to just fall in love with him. Like, I just want him. I want the Messiah. I want that baby. I'll lay down before a baby if I need to. I want him. I'll travel 800 miles if I have to. I'll talk to the king and say, hey, where's the real king? I'll do whatever I gotta do if I can just have Jesus. But the only way we're gonna get there is that we find him beautiful. So let's go ahead and ask him to do that. Let's stand all across this room. I wanna ask the Lord to help us in this. I believe that Jesus in this hour is raising up a church that beholds him, a church that is so undone by his glory, a church that has found him lovely. And if we can be that church, if we can start beholding him, we're gonna start seeking him, we're gonna start start worshiping him and we're gonna start listening to him. And as we do that, as we listen to God, as we seek his face, we're gonna change the world. I believe that God is gonna use us to be a light to our city, but not just our cities, to the world. He's gonna use us to send out missionaries and church planters and the kingdom of God is gonna go forward because a people said, I am gonna stop beholding dumb things and start beholding the king. All right, let's go ahead and let's pray for that. If you just be so bold, just stick out your hands in front and say, Jesus, help me to find you beautiful. I'm just gonna pray for that. Lord, right now, all across this room, I pray that, that there be, be something deposited into every heart where it just like, where just this hunger starts to erupt for you. Like we just found you so beautiful and so lovely and so matchless that we can't help but obey you. And for now on, obedience is not a duty, but it's a delight. It's our sincere privilege to obey you. It's our sincere privilege to worship you. It's our sincere privilege to, uh, to seek you out because we have found you so lovely. God, I pray right now that you would just pour your love into our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, do it. to our
that first church, they were so wrecked by you. Lord, we know you can do it today. You can do it in 2023. Pour your love into our hearts. Help us to find you more beautiful than anything else in this world. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and worship Jesus. The altars are open. The prayer team's up here if you need prayer with somebody. I just want to encourage you. Let's, yeah, let's seek the Lord here in the final minutes of the service.